Welcome back to Snowwood Podcast. This is your host, Gordavan. Today's episode, episode 37. If you haven't listened to the past episodes, check them out. Uh, we're on iTunes and on SoundCloud and Twitter. So just search uh, Snowmobiling Podcast on any of those platforms and um, you will find us. Subscribe um, and follow us on uh, iTunes and uh, SoundCloud and uh, like the Snowmobiling Facebook Snowmobiling Podcast Facebook page. Um, I post all the episodes on there, plus a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, uh, new new products, uh, new sleds, um, all kinds of stuff. So today's episode, episode 37, and uh, we're talking to Nathan Titus, uh, Western Power Sports. Um, so, and uh, also a past racer, while well, still still racing too, hill, hill climbs, he's still racing hill climbs, and uh, probably he'd probably get into a snowcross racer uh, or cross country race if you asked him. Uh, co-hosting with me today is uh, Hal Armstrong. So, here we are, Nathan Titus. So on the line with me, uh, we have uh, uh, Nathan Titus. Uh, Nathan, whereabouts are you located right now? Uh, I'm in uh, Kenai, Idaho. It's just a suburb, basically, of Boise, Idaho. Okay, it's a suburb of Boise, Idaho. And um, we have on the line with me, uh, co-hosting with me today, uh, Hal Armstrong. Uh, Hal's a contributor for Snowgore Canada Magazine, a contributor for Snowmobile Television, and also Snowtech Magazine, uh, and uh, you can see his uh, articles uh, in uh, in those magazines, um, and his uh, his specialty, I guess, is uh, time machines, uh, uh, where he does the uh, the time machines uh, articles. And uh, uh, Hal's got a uh, Facebook page, uh, time machines uh, Facebook page, and uh, you can check stuff out there. And I think Nathan, you were just recently uh, in one of his photos uh, uh, that he he posted there from uh, um, what race was that, Hal? Oh, it was the, uh, I'm pretty sure that Nathan was there at the uh, Super uh, Snowcross in Toronto back in 2001 yeah. at the Skydome. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you're la- that was probably one of the last big, in- <laughs> last big indoor uh, snowcross races. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably about, that's about the last time they, they tried that. Yeah. So, okay, uh, Nathan. Um, yep. Let's. Uh, you uh, you just recently raced uh, this past weekend uh, at the uh, uh, Rimshaw uh, Hill Climb. Uh, it, it, that's that, that's what they call it, right? Uh, in uh, Crested Butte. Correct. Yes. And uh, how'd you make out there? Um, and um, uh, what, what are you what are you racing there uh, anyway? What uh, what classes? So I ride for uh, for Yamaha, and we ride the the Viper. The Viper chassis. Um, the class we race, we uh, th- there's three guys on the team now. We ride improved sleds and then mod sleds. It's basically an improved sled can be motor work, um, limited motor work, but basically stock chassis, stock suspension. You can change shocks, but you can't change rails. And we ride the improved class, and then we ride mod sleds. And you can kind of pick um, what uh, what class you're going to run. I run uh, seven mod or six mod, and they go kind of in order. So I go six mod, uh, seven improved, seven mod, and then I'm old enough now I can ride master's improved and master's mod. So we can ride uh, five classes per weekend. Yeah, and uh, so how, what were your placings on, on this past weekend? How'd you make out? Uh, the way it works is, yeah, it went okay. Like uh, Saturday, no matter how many guys in the class, they qualify down to 12. And then Sunday, you ride uh, the top 12, get a ride, get on Sunday. They reset the course and, and redo it, and you, you race for the finals on Sunday. But uh, I had a really good day Saturday. I qualified in all five of my classes and actually qualified really well. 
top five, sixes, sevens. And then, uh, I don't know, Sunday was reset, and I just never could get, get a really good rhythm. Um, I don't know, it was just, I was kind of slow. So I, I got a 10th in my first class, uh, tipped over in a big trench, and got 11th in my second class, 10th in my third class, and then I got a third and a sixth as the day went on. So, um, okay results, but uh, definitely always, you always want better, right? Yes. How you been? How you been making out this year? You've you've competed at most of the events this year. I uh, yeah, I've raced at uh, the full series, uh, the Rimshaw series. Um, it's uh, it's definitely a challenging. It's a, it's a challenging game. Um, I've been qualifying really well. A um, couple podiums, few here and there. Um, had really really bad running at uh, Jackson Hole a couple weeks ago. I uh, didn't qualify for any. I qualified for five the weekend before and five the weekend after and got zero in Jackson. But, uh, I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes sometimes. But I'm um, um, doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, it's only my third year of hill climbing, so, so still kind of in the learning curve. Yeah, perfect. Okay, um, so let's change uh, change the topics up a bit, a bit and uh, we'll come back to the to the hill, hill climbing uh, um, after we, uh, we finish up, uh, I guess, the rest of your career, <laughs> the beginning of your career, I guess. Um, so when did you start uh, <laughs> racing? When did you start racing? Uh, truly, I think I was about ten the first time I raced. I grew up in uh, McCall, Idaho, and there was a a uh, winter carnival race that we had every year, and my dad was involved. And I raced uh, basically once a year through elementary, junior high, and and part of my high school year before I ever ever really started traveling and, and going to other little snow crosses in the area. And um, you, you, were, you were racing uh, just uh, junior classes? Uh, and, and that was snowcross, I, I would suspect, right? Yeah, that was snowcross. And snowcross was kind of just developing. And, they, you know, it was terrain, a long terrain race, basically, in, in a closed course, more than, than the snowcross you see today. I would say it would be a more of a short cross-country. And I raced junior and then amateur and up into semi-pro class by the time I was in high school. And, and uh Basically, just um, we never had either new fancy sleds. We always had always had used old beat up stuff, whatever we could afford, and, and just kind of pick the class that could race by that. And like I said, I didn't didn't really even start traveling to like West Yellowstone or, or any of the other local races until probably middle of high school. Yeah. So is that when you started to uh, start getting serious and you, you got some good machinery and and what were you what were you riding back then? Uh, I always grew up on Polaris. My dad's uh, my dad's high school buddy owned the Polaris dealership there in McCall, so we were always on Polaris's. And and uh, truly, I think my senior year in high school was the first time I got to go. Um, I traveled and 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 or went to a uh, an RMXDRC, a cross country race, and did pretty well there. <clears throat> and that's kind of even then I was still kind of part time. I couldn't afford to to do it very seriously, so. Uh, I raced the RMX the RMXDRC series. I think the year after high school was the first time I raced more than just a few times a year. Yeah, Hal. Yeah, Nathan. I was looking at some uh, some old snow weeks, and uh, um, I was looking. Probably your name started appearing around nineteen ninety four, ninety five, on uh, on the snowcross circuit at that time, and then in in uh, Ninety-seven. It seems you were on a kind of a breakthrough, breakthrough year with uh, with Polaris. I, I don't know if you were really a, 
could you be called like a Polaris factory rider at that point with uh, Greg Hyde and, and, and David Brown? Yeah, actually, that was the first year Polaris had hired uh, snowmobile racers since the uh, the Midnight Blue Express team back in the 70s, and that was the first uh, the first four of us. It was Corey Davidson, myself, Greg Hyde, and David Brown <clears throat> got hired that season. That was the 96-97 National Snowcross season. So with, uh, were you guys racing just primarily out west, or were you following? I think it was MRP then, the circuit, right? Yeah, so basically my career kind of got started uh, um, the first time I really traveled. Jack Struthers called me. We've, we've been running RMXCRC, and he called me, I think it was probably 94, and told me he was going to Duluth, and he had three sleds in his trailer and needed somebody to help him drive there. So basically, I uh, I threw the one sled that I owned in the in the last spot in his trailer and helped Jack drive back there. And I raced semi pro class that year, and and won the semi pro class at Duluth. I, there was 110 or 112 riders in my class, and qualified down to 10 and won the final. And and then uh, that was the first year that I really got any recognition from Polaris. And they uh, they talked Jack and I Ray on Street, talked Jack and I into staying and racing Quadna. And Jack got me into riding all the classes at Quad, and I rode my 440, his 600, and his open sled, and, and won all three classes there. And then uh, that was kind of the kickoff of my career. But wow. that was when there was only uh, one or two snowcross a year. The first year there was the first year there was a national snowcross was ninety five, ninety six, and I rode it with Jack. <clears throat> and I think there was five races we had that year, and it was it was early MRP. So with uh, with uh, Jack Struthers, I mean, at that time he was uh, he was you know the cross country king. Him and Kirk Hebert. Did you did you compete in any uh, cross country races at that time also or no? Yeah, that's a, that's that was the RMX CRC series, and that's how I kind of got going. Um, Jack and Tim Shellhorn and Doug Lasher were racing RMX CRC out here, <clears throat> and I raced that with uh, Greg, Doug's little brother Greg and another guy for part of a year, and then. They split uh, the Tim, Jack, and Doug freight train up, and I rode with Craig Lasher and Doug Lasher, and then Tim and Jack rode two-man teams. And we won pretty much all the cross-country races we went to. They raced two-man pro, and we raced three-man pro, and we won a bunch of races, and that's kind of how I got going with Jack. But, yeah, Jack, I raced Jack and Kirk and Rex Hibbert and all those guys. I've raced against those guys cross-country. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 97... uh Ninety-seven, you uh, on the MRP, you, uh, you you ended up being the Pro Open champ, right? Yeah, I won the ninety-seven Pro Open title. Pro Open title, yeah. So that's when you started. Uh, so in ninety-seven, uh, ninety-eight, you went to to Yamaha, and uh, you know, I was just reading back there at Yellowstone. That's the first, I guess, the Chris Vincent that switched from Cat to uh, to Yamaha, and Yamaha was starting to make a push at that point into. Uh, Snowcross. So is that right at the end of Yellowstone? Is that the, the period of time when did Yamaha come and approach you, or how did that develop? Uh, basically, it was kind of weird because you know they hired the four of us to run the snowcross team with Polaris, and uh, David Brown won the 440 title. Uh, I think Vincent won the on the Yamaha on the 600, won the 600 class, and then I won the open class. And uh, we had a pretty good, you know, the full salary paid program. And uh, I was looking for a better deal after after a title, and Polaris came back with a worse deal. <laughs> and I was kind of kind of surprised with that, but they had some budget cuts, and they were they were changing some stuff around, and 
and pretty much cut all of our programs. And that was about the time that Polaris approached me to see if I wanted to come back to Polaris. Or want to come, or sorry, that was, that was the year Yamaha approached me and said I wanted to come, come ride for Yamaha. And I had no interest really at the time until my deal with Polaris was uh, fairly pitiful. So I basically took a lateral move. Like I didn't get much of a pay increase, but it was a, a better deal than I had what Polaris was offering. So I had to go give Yamaha the ride, which was, which was really tough because I was, like I said, born and raised on Polaris and, and everybody I knew in the industry was Polaris guys. So and with uh, the move to Yamaha, I mean, they had, uh, I guess you were running, what, the uh, the SRX at that time, like the, the trailing arm, like the triple, 600 triples, or what was the sled? Yep. Yep, that was it. We rode, uh, that was, so in 97, uh, Yamaha approached MRP and talked them into building the 600 class. Because before that, we really didn't, there wasn't much of a 600 class. It was kind of getting before 40s and and they were talking about, or we had a six-turn class, but they were trying to get rid of it. And then Yamaha talked them into keeping it, so we could have a stock class and then the, the open mod sled. So we rode six hundred SRXs, and then uh, our mod sled. So what kind of? Uh, I mean, this was so. This was, uh, I guess, in ninety ninety uh, uh, seven with Vincent moving to, to Yamaha. They had, I guess, I mean, they they were way behind the game compared to Cat and Polaris at that point in time. So. Who who was doing all the developing on the sleds and that type of work? Yeah, basically. So the ninety seven ninety eight years, the year I went to Yamaha, uh, Chris rode ninety six ninety seven on the Yamahas, and 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 him and Jesse Strake were teammates, and and they had started the development. Um, the mod, I mean, basically, Pat Hawk was helping with motor work, and I mean, they were they were reaching everywhere. We had uh, you know Owens came on board with suspension stuff and brought some really high end, uh, technology shocks to the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was basically the Yamaha race team out of, uh, Coon Rapids, Minnesota. There was just in the garage down, down the hill from the, the, uh, testing department and engineering. And, and we just started putting together the sled to try to try to make them work. And it was a, it was a brutal learning curve for sure. You know, Skidoo and, and Polaris and Articat had never stopped racing and Yamaha hadn't raced in 20 years. So, it was uh, basically a lot of, a lot of hard work and a lot of, a lot of bent parts and broken pieces and, and development. Were you, were you a little bit worried, the, uh, the, Nathan? Uh, or were you a bit, uh, were you a little bit? Uh, basically, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, a little apprehensive, uh, and and like I said, if my players deal hadn't been so bad, I uh, I probably wouldn't jump ship. But uh, the offering they offered me was pretty undoable for my financial situation so the Yamaha deal was kind of my only option yeah uh yeah. did you did you get a chance to an opportunity so in, to in, uh, uh just a minute hell uh did you get an opportunity to uh to test the sleds yeah. much before you start or or were they kind of uh going on by what you know the previous two years with uh Strag was uh moving back to Articat was kind of the deal so I signed my deal with Yamaha at heydays um, and I'd never ridden a Yamaha when I signed my deal. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, um, so you, st- so your first race would have been Duluth then, um, on, on the Yamaha and how'd, how'd that go? Uh, we actually, back then there was a couple of races there. We tried to throw one at, uh, like Thunder Bay or, uh, Search Lawn up in Sault Ste. Marie. Usually we'd try to get a race in before Duluth. So we, uh, you know, Yamaha was, wasn't scared to spend a little money in the t- at that time. So we rented one of the steals. I think we rented, uh, St. Marie, and 
and went testing. And we, yeah, I mean, we, we got a little bit of ride time before Duluth, but not much. I mean, it's, it's a lot different now where the teams have snowmaking equipment and, and racetracks. We, uh, we basically only rode on the racetrack yeah. back then. So I think I rode once or twice before we, uh, we got to Duluth. So Nathan, do you think, uh, you had, uh, yeah, like, uh, I mean, uh, the first year I struggled a little bit, 97, 98, and, uh, we had a little, we had a hard time. Um, the biggest problem we had was, uh, Vincent and myself's riding style is, is completely different. Um, and part of the, the reason I, I had a career and, and truly still have a career is I was always one of those guys that could go pretty fast without destroying equipment. And so Yamaha was having a hard time keeping their stuff together. Uh, Vincent was not necessarily known for that kind of riding style, <laughs> a little more of a banger than myself. Uh, so they were, they were tearing stuff up. So the first year I went, uh, he was kind of the lead rider on the team and a lot of the setup stuff was done for him and, and I couldn't make it work. Um, he'd come in and, and tell the suspension guys he was bombing out. And the reality was the suspension hadn't moved in a whole moto. So he, uh, he had stuff so stiff that we couldn't, we couldn't make it work. And so I, I didn't have very good results the first year. Uh, okay on the 600 and, and the mod stuff. I mean, I guess it was competitive, but. The next year, um, I got to be kind of the lead rider, and, and Chris went to the, uh, I think he went to sharing team, and uh, I got to do a lot more of the development and setup for myself, you know, at the end of the first year and then going into the second season. And so I had a lot more input on, on setup, and and I learned a ton of that. I spent a lot of years with Jack Struthers, and that guy's uh, pretty good at setup, so um, once I got to really play with it, and then they came out with a new Monoshocker skid that second year, and, and then that year I was I could run with anybody up front for for that season pretty well. Go ahead, Hal. Were you uh, Nathan at that at that time when uh, when Morgan came on the scene uh, and started the stand up riding style? Is that something you adapted to right away, or were you more a sit down type rider at that point? I mean, honestly. We- we were all sit-down riders, other than Blair. I mean, I, I remember being at at, uh, at West Yellowstone. We watched his first his first race ever, and we all went, "There's no way he's gonna be able to stand up for the whole moto." And then he did, and we all went, "What? Well, there's no way the sled's gonna be able to handle the way he rides it." And then it did, <clears throat> and so uh, he came on scene and kind of changed the program. And and I'd been around long enough to know that. Uh, I mean, I was a full-fledged sit-down rider. I, I raced cross-country all my life, where your feet better be in the stirrups or you're gonna crash. So we all we all got to evolve when when Tony Heiklin kind of changed the game as well, you know, like I was around and at a front runner when Tony, Tony came on board and, and I remember being at Canterbury at the super enduro and Tony started jumping that, I don't know, it was probably a 30 foot double that nobody else would even try. And we all kind of looked at each other and went, well, I guess we better figure out how to get over that. Like <laughs> there's a new game. We'd never jump anything that big, but if he can do it, we can do it. So we all went out and, and learned how to do the big jump. And then Blair showed up and, and even after Blair, you know, developed a stand-up riding style, there's still a lot of times that even even the guys today will uh, sit down and lock their feet in the stirrups because you can just ride through some some tougher stuff. So all of uh, all of the sit-down rider style guys kind of developed a, a crossover version of of the Blair Morgan slash you know Tony Hiken old school riding styles and and kind of made them work together. Yeah. So the X Games, I guess you were probably one of the one of the, the first group to be in uh, in X Games, right? Yeah, I raced X Games, the first ever winner X in '98 in uh, in Crested Butte, which is funny because I was just there uh, day before yesterday, yeah. looking up the hill where the old snowcross track was. 
Yeah. And uh, so what was your best uh, finish in, uh, in snowcross, and how many times did you qualify for X Games? Man, I don't remember. I think uh, I never – it was funny. We were talking about that the other day. I was talking to somebody. I uh, I never had luck at X Games. Um, they were really, really short races. Um, you know, a lot of times we'd have four or five-lap qualifiers and, and six-lap finals because they made them really short for for TV back then. And uh, I never got to race a final at X Games, I think, over six or seven laps. Um, and I just uh, – like I, I won. I remember the on the last time, the, well, the last time I was on Yamaha, I won uh, the Canterbury Snowcross on Sunday. Went to X Games and barely qualified for the final and got like a tenth. <laughs> like, I, I just I had bad luck in every every X Games I ever went to. So the only podium I ever got was uh, two years ago when I got to race Hillcross and got a third. Oh, so you were in that that big Hillcross event uh, in 2015 then. Yeah, yeah, that's my only X Games medal at uh, <laughs> 40 years old. <laughs> wow, that's that's cool. What kind of what kind of horsepower were those those uh, triple Yamahas making uh, for snowcross back in the day, like in in the 99, 2000? Oh, they were. I I know the only numbers I ever saw. We uh, we built those. Our our team manager built that Polaris, those 800 twin Polarises, and we spun like 100 and I want to say 178 horse on the Polaris Dyno with that stupid thing. It was a light switch, <clears throat> and I think our Yamahas were near there. I never saw actual numbers. Those are our 760 Hawk motors, <clears throat> and yeah. Pat Hawk built a pretty cool motor yeah. and super linear, usable power. That that uh, 800 twin Polaris was a light switch. It was on or off, but uh, our triples were way more linear power and. I'd have to say they had to be, um, they had to be, uh, I'm, I'm actually driving and I'm getting pulled over and I have no idea why. So I'm uh -oh. going to have to call you guys back. Okay. Um, okay. We'll do, uh -oh. I'll, I'll, All right. I'll, I'll give you a call back in about, uh, 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. Okay. And we're back and, um, Right now, at this point in the interview, I'm thinking, okay, great, I've screwed Nathan for uh, for driving while uh, while talking on the phone. Um, so um, we call back. I call back, and I wasn't able to get Hal back on the line um, through my connection. So I continued the interview. Um, thankfully, with uh, with Nathan, he was uh, he was pretty funny about it. Uh, he came back on and uh, and told us uh, what happened. So here we go. Here's Nathan Titus again. Well, um, Polaris hired me uh, during my knee deal. Um, so I raced, I signed with Polaris, and, and probably the worst mistake I made was going back to Polaris. Yamaha wanted to keep me, but uh, um, they'd eliminated the 600 class, so it was just 440s and opens. And Polaris hit me up with a really good deal and a really good offering, and, and uh, the knee was repaired and, and all good to go and yeah well, I tried to keep me but I, I want to go back to Polaris so I rode Polaris um, 2001 um, and then 0102 something like that yeah I think so yeah two years after my Yamaha deal I rode for another two years on Polaris and and that was the first couple of years of the Pro X chassis and that thing was a joke and uh, I think I got one podium in the next two years and then decided it was time to do something different. 
<laughs> yeah. So where you you were saying you uh, you moved to uh, the WPSA? Did did you not uh, to, to work with them? Uh, I went to uh, that was still WSA then, um, and I'd known Joe Duncan since MRP days and and uh, Blair Bodley and and they uh, um, the deal then was nice because uh, I brokered deals where I could fly in and out and work at the races and I was the assistant race director with Blair Bodley for the next few years, as opposed to being uh, living in the Midwest and leaving my family in Idaho. It worked out pretty good because I could just fly into the weekend and and uh, and work behind the scenes, and, and it, would, uh, it worked out really good. It was a very educational experience coming from the race side for so many years and then being on the, the production side. So yeah, the, uh, um, yeah. I guess that's quite a quite an experience. Uh, you know, doing that, uh, um, your racers, you're you're, uh, you're you're trying to get away with stuff um, on on the racing side and uh, rural side stuff <laughs> like that. And on the co co race director uh, side, you're uh, you're there trying to enforce the rule book, and uh, it's tough. I, I know I, I I have to do it myself sometimes, and uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough business. Yeah, and it it uh, it was really cool. I mean, I, I actually enjoyed it a lot, and uh, and it worked into. I worked with Joe at uh, at Winter X Games pretty much every year since, and and I worked with Joe this weekend. Joe kind of runs the Crested Butte event. Um, him and I have that along for years, and 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 just being on the racetrack side was nice because basically uh, Blair took, took care of all the political crap, and my job was to make sure the race course was safe. And that's kind of why Joe and, and Blair hired me. Was my job was to make sure flaggers were in the right spots and that, that flaggers did their job. And and my job was basically to protect the racer. And and coming from the racer side of things, I had a had a pretty good feel for that. So, um, you know, the last few X Games I worked, <clears throat> that's been my job, either that or announcing at X. But uh, just being in charge of, of making sure that the, the racers are protected um, from each other as much as anything. You know, making sure the the course is safe and I spent a lot of time in the groomer and a lot of time moving flagmen around and making sure they're in the right place and that they're doing their job. And, and so I was basically in charge of the racetrack and making sure it was, it was, uh, ready to go. Yeah. So, um, uh, when, when did you make the move from, uh, from WSA to, um, to, uh, I guess, uh, Western power sports was, was that the, the next transition? Uh, not really. So when I, when I quit racing, a buddy of mine had a landscape company going and I, I bought into that and, uh, ran that with him for a couple of years and then he wanted out. So I ended up buying him out and, uh, I ran that for, I don't know, I want to say eight years or whatever. And, uh, Brian Strassel called me. So basically I was working all summer and had my winters kind of off, which is how I worked in with my WSA deal and, and the race record gig. And then, uh, uh, the economy kind of took a dump there in the United States for, you know, seven oh eight, pretty bad. And and my landscape business suffered pretty bad. But uh, Strasville called me to go race cross-country for Yamaha to try to get some testing done. And uh, I'd worked with WPS for all my life, really. They've, they've always been here in, in, in Idaho and, and supported the race thing. So I basically wandered in there and was talking to them about getting a fly deal for my cross country program and was complaining about how crappy my landscape business was going and, <laughs> and walked out of there with a job. So <laughs> I quit the landscape thing and, and, uh, went to work at Western power. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're, you're, you're still there. So, uh, uh, t- talk to us about, uh, uh, Western power, uh, um, being from Canada, we're not, we're not so f- too familiar with it. I've, I've, I've certainly, I've certainly heard of them and, uh, know that they're a, a, a 
grow, a very big growing uh, distribution company now. Uh, talk to us about uh, Western Power Sports, uh, what, what, the, what they're doing, what products they, uh, they distribute, and uh, um, you're involved with Sly, correct? So the, the way it works is, yeah, uh, Fly is a house brand, is what we call it, or, you know, it's, it's owned. Um, Fly is owned by Western Power Sports, uh, also distributed by Western Power Sports, but in Canada, Fly is distributed by Gamma. Uh, we sell Fly brand all over the world, but we only are a distributor in the United States for a product. And, and basically, uh, the Western Power story is a really cool story. It's been a distributor here in, in Boise, Idaho for 56 years now. Um, they started out uh, as one of the Hakeem cousins hauled a snowmobile, the Polaris distributor out west. So it was the first Polaris distributor uh, on this side of the country. And then in 86, I think it was, Polaris pulled distribution from outside distributors to house distribution. And by that time, Western Polaris had seen the writing on the wall and they started to build Western Power and, and distribute um, aftermarket products. So, Western Power has been a snowmobile distributor for 50-some years here in Boise, and now we have uh, six warehouses throughout the United States and and distribute everything from ATV, watercraft, uh, B-twin motorcycle, snowmobile, dirt bike, sport bike, cruiser. We have uh, uh, a ginormous amount of, of inventory and, and, uh, and a very fast-paced High, highly progressive, cool company to work for. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Fly, uh, Fly, uh, Fly products. Uh, where, where did that uh, come out uh, out of? Um, who, uh, who, where, where did was Fly a, a company and Western Power Sports bought Fly, or was uh, was it originally um, part of Western Power Sports? Yeah, uh, Fly brand is about uh, last year was the 15th anniversary. They started about uh, about the time I was racing Polaris. I actually went in and uh, I ran fly helmets on Polaris in like 01, 02. Um, but they were uh, basically it's it it there's a company that uh, that Western Power started um, as a distributor. You if you own the company and, and manage the company, you have more opportunity. You get better margins. You make more money because it's your company as opposed to buying a product from a vendor. But uh, you know Western Power buys 90% of their products from a vendor and, and fly just a house brand of, of apparel. So our designers in-house build our product and, and we build it and then distribute it through our chain as well as sell it to distributors around the world. But but no, it's, uh, it's a company that got started by uh, by the uh, the head guys at, uh, at Western Power and and just started developing some, some moto gear. So are you the are you kind of the athlete uh, representative for uh, for fly products then? Uh, I am, I deal with a lot, but only on the snowmobile side. We yeah. have, uh, the, we, we have basically division guys. Um, we have an amateur guy that deals with all of our amateur motocross guys. We have a pro guy that deals with all of our pro high end pro athletes. Uh, we have an ATV, UTV guy. We have a watercraft guy. And then I am, I'm the snowmobile guy. Yeah. You so must every, every division of uh, product basically has their own. Great! You must you must love doing that. Uh, you know, still being involved in snowmobiles and uh, great great products too to <laughs> to uh, to uh, to distribute. 
Yeah, it's it's actually really cool because I've you know I've been racing for so long and and there's always there's always been some holes in the in the product line and so now in my in my position I'm not really sure what my job title is I got probably five or six at this point but uh, my true job title is a tech so I come deal with the Western Power catalog and deal with outside vendors the other part of my job is to fly uh, race support guy for snow. And then the other part is I work a lot with our development guys, and, and I get to bring new products to the table. And, and if I have an idea and can prove that it's something that's viable, uh, I can get it produced and get it manufactured and, and, and bring some new some of my ideas uh, to fruition and actually have them in the product line. Like like uh, I have quite a few in the in the snow product line now that are, that are my ideas and stuff that I've got to uh, develop, and, and those all came from my years of just being on the track and, and needing, needing stuff that nobody's making. Yeah, the fly stuff is. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I've noticed it the past couple of years. It's uh, it's really improved. Uh, it's the nice flashy stuff. Uh, it looks great uh, on the uh, on the consumer side and on the racing side. Uh, uh, that makes some uh, some excellent looking, uh, like re- really bright, flashy uh, flashy suits. Uh, good 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 job by by their part and your part, I guess. Yeah, and I I uh, I, I work with the the moto side a little bit, but uh, mostly the snow stuff because I know that line better and that's my world. But um, yeah, I mean we are now the the number two. Uh, gear company in the United States. Um, Fox has kind of got us covered with their, their retail side of things and being in the mall is kind of tough to compete with. But um, but as far as just straight moto gear, um, uh, Fly has basically passed Thor. So we're, we're sitting number two in the, in the U.S. as far as gear brands. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's a great company to work for. It's a bunch of guys that, uh, that ride, whether it be, um, you know, street bikes, dirt bikes, sport bikes, uh, we have quite a few ex-professional motocross guys working for us. You know, Jason Thomas and Cole Siebler and and guys. Uh, uh, I was in the office last week, and Andrew Short wandered through, and he swings by, and him and Kennard do to, to work on development stuff. Yeah, usually once or twice a year. So, got some pretty good guys, and it's a pretty good product. Yeah, it's funny. I I, uh, I remember Jason Thomas uh, racing uh, motocross, and when I was racing quads, uh, he was uh, he was racing uh, the the uh, supercrosses up here in Canada. And I was racing quads, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm sure he, yeah. he won. He won a couple of uh, the uh, Supercrosses up here. I think Montreal uh, kind of rings a bell that he might have uh, won that once or twice. I think he was uh, kind of the king of Montreal. I think, uh, uh, kind of think so. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, how how, uh, how that all comes about? Uh, you guys, uh, him and him and you, uh, coming from racing backgrounds to uh, to work for uh, for Western Power Sports, but. Uh, um, Let's. Uh, I guess we can go back. Go, go back to some, some of your racing here. Um, so, um, to start the show, we, you were talking about your hill climbing. When, when, and, and how did that uh, come about? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, you know, Brian Straw. Though I, I met Brian when uh, he was Craig Hyde mechanic in at Polaris in '97. Uh, he ended up at Yamaha for quite a few years and, and, and stayed with the Yamaha even after I quit racing. He kind of worked on the snowcross team through, well, to, to basically till Yamaha quit racing snowcross. And then, uh, they started getting back into cross country stuff in the Midwest and trying to get their, their cross country program working. And Strasville called me, I want to say 08 or no, probably 09, 10, somewhere in there and said, uh, hey, uh, you want to go race cross country? And I'm like, dude, I haven't, I haven't raced across country in a dozen years. Um, what are you looking for? And Jesse Strade was kind of the, uh, the race team manager at that point for Yamaha. And they were trying to get stuff going, but they kept having a problem with, uh, 
developing a sled because all the riders they hired were young guys and they'd get out and race the Yamaha and, and find out it wasn't that competitive and jump ship. So they couldn't find any riders to, to help them develop the sled. And so he called me to see if I'd uh, come ride and, and work on making the, the snowmobile better instead of just trying to win on it. And I, I broke her deal and said, yeah, like, I'd be happy to, as long as it doesn't cost me any money, I'll come help you and, and see if we can make the, the sled better. So I went and raced cross country for, I want to say four winners. And then I kind of was like, you know, let me go race hill climb. Like the hill climb team needs some help. You guys have some pretty good riders here in the Midwest. I'm tired of flying in and out every weekend. Uh, I can drive to the races out West and I kind of want to go race hill climb. So brokered a deal and they let me shift from cross country to hill climb. Yeah. So how uh, your, your, your snow cross and, uh, and, and cross country racing, uh, how much, uh, uh, uh style change or, or skills uh you know does it did you have to <laughs> did came into play for hill climbing or or any <laughs> uh it's it's a uh it is a very steep learning curve and i mean steep in a whole in, in a couple of different ways there <laughs> um unfortunately uh i started trying to hill climb when we were still on the nitro chassis and and uh I learned some bad habits and, and struggled a lot. The nitro chassis was a, a plenty fine motor and platform, but it was not a hill climb sled at all. Uh, we worked for years and got the new front end built for the nitro, the last year I raced cross country and made the, made the thing a very competitive cross country sled. And then, uh, that, that front end morphed onto the hill climb sled and made them significantly better. But, uh, we struggled as a team, everybody, uh, myself more than others being a, a snow cross cross country racer until we got the Viper chassis. <clears throat> and then when we, uh, we moved in the Viper chassis, the Yamaha has become uh, significantly more competitive. But for me, it's just a, uh, it's a whole different world. Uh, I thought I was a really good snowmobile rider until I decided to go race hill climbs and found out that I had a, a whole lot to learn, um, in my skill sets. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so how long have you been, how long have you been hill, uh, hill climbing? A couple of years now? Yeah, this is this would be my third season, um, and I'm and I'm uh, I've progressively gotten better. I, I can tell you that uh, I progressively or amazingly have have become a significantly better rider in the mountains. Um, it's one of those things. I remember when I first started racing cross country, I thought I was a good snowmobile rider until I raced a whole season of cross country, and then went back and rode some of the stuff that I used to think was tough, and I laughed because that was you know that was something you hit it. 60 miles an hour in a cross-country race and you thought you were cool to be able to ride across it at 10. Kind of the same thing in the mountains. Um, I've always ridden in the mountains and, and felt fairly comfortable in the mountains, but we uh, we hill climb across stuff that if you came to on the normal play day, um, 9 out of 10 people would go home and, and the other guy might try it but would never ever think to do it for speed with gates and and, uh, and, a, and a stopwatch timing you uh, how far you can, <laughs> how, how fast you can get across it. So, once you uh, once you go into cross country racing or uh, hill climb racing out here, it's a it's an amazing curve. These guys are amazing riders. Um, it's fun to compete against them. Uh, the Yamaha is a little heavy. We have uh, we have our work cut out for us compared to the other brands, but it's a uh, it's it's a pretty enjoyable feat to go out there and, and compete with guys on on true mountain sleds that 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 are significantly lighter than our Yamahas, and and we're getting to where we're not only competing but uh, beating them. 
quite often. How, how, how is the? I, I haven't been to a hill climb. What's the atmosphere like? Are, are the guys and uh, in, in gals, I guess, uh, uh, is a pretty pretty more relaxed the atmosphere than uh, than snowcross? Snowcross is pretty intense when you go and walk through the pits, and uh, on the on the verge of being like Fort Knox's with some of the uh, the trailers and stuff like that. How how is the uh, hill climbs? <laughs> Uh, I, I would, it's, it's to me a lot like old school snowcross, you know, as long as I've been doing it, there's a, there's a ton of camaraderie. Uh, most of the riders are friends. Uh, most of the riders ride together. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things you're, you're not banging bars. So there's not the animosity. It's not like some guy parked in a corner or pushed over a berm or, um, you know, there's, there's not that same kind of competition and, 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 what I would say, anger or animosity in, in that kind of sport because you're not racing that guy. You know, he's, he's throwing a time down and you got to go try to beat the time on the same course, but you're, you're not banging bars. So the, the, that, that, that competition contact competition isn't, isn't like it, it is in snowcross. Well, how, how do you see the sport of, of, of uh, hill climbing? Do you see it uh, growing more, uh, um, snowcross maybe slowing down a bit. Uh, um, how do you see the two sports comparing the the, uh, the two? Um, you know, I've I've, I've watched snowcross flounder. Um, I have to I have to kind of see that it, or think that I I got to race snowcross in its heyday um, when you know short track sleds were what everybody was riding and everybody was following it and we didn't have, you know, random TV coverage. We had ESPN on a bad year. We had ESPN two. Um, the numbers were huge. The, the sport was really, you know, at its peak since then it's, it's kind of, it's kind of floundered because of the, you know, the chassis and, and what people are riding for consumer sleds and, and the race sleds have, have so morphed into a, a true race sled as opposed to a consumer sled. Um, I've seen cross country go, you know, really big and then flounder and now it's growing. Um, as they become more and more uh consumer restricted sleds in the cross country series, the numbers have gone up there. But but hill climbing other fact is it's kind of funny because it's kind of old school snow cross mentality, but it just keeps growing and growing and the money and the equipment that shows up at these races in the middle of some farm field is is uh, pretty mind boggling when you figure, you know, mod sleds that everybody's got are somewhere in the thirty to fifty to sixty thousand dollars snowmobiles, and then uh, even improved sleds are, you know, somewhere in the twenty plus thousand dollar range. Uh, a stock stock sleds, you know, ten to fifteen, you know, when you when you can bring them to the racetrack, and then there's not there's a few semis, but most people don't run a semi because you can't get them in half the parking lots. <laughs> Yeah. Not because people don't want them, but uh, the place we put races on are in the middle of nowhere. But the fifth wheelers and 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 RVs and toter homes and dollars and and you look at the dollar figures in in the race pits, it's it's pretty amazing considering truly a lot of them are in a farm field. Yeah. Do you see that as as possibly hurting the hurting the sport in the future though, with uh, more money coming in and not a whole? I mean, the whole the, the industry isn't isn't huge. Do you see it could uh, possibly hurt the industry with, uh, you know, you know, thirty thousand dollar mod sleds and you know, twenty thousand dollar mod sleds and stuff? Uh, how, how do you see that? It's and the funny thing is, it's it's always been that way. Um, mod sleds now are easier to build than they used to be back when back in the in the nineties and stuff when everybody's running tube chassis and hand building 
literally hand building chassis to race hill climb with. Now all you got to do is you can buy a chassis and put a small gas tank on it and, and put a turbo on it and add some cool parts and you've got a competitive mod sled. Um, unfortunately those parts are not cheap. They're, you know, they're up in that 30,000 plus price range, but, but they're not, uh, they're not hand built stuff like they used to be. They used to, you know, spend a lot more time to, to build these kind of things. So it's kind of always been that way. The nice part with Rimshaw, there's so many classes that, uh, that a guy can get a 600 stock RMK and go race. Um, and you're fairly competitive, you know, if you want to move into the improvers and the mod classes, you can, but they've always been there and the classes haven't changed in, I don't know, 20 years. And, and they're still doing it like they've always done. It's just these, these, uh, these guys out here want to build cool sleds and want to race them up a hill on the rocks. And, and it, it doesn't seem to change and it just keeps seeming to grow. Like, you know, the, the Aspen Hill climb, they cut off at 600 entrance. It's all they'll allow. And it fills up every year. Yeah. I guess I guess those sleds probably aren't very hard to uh, sell at the end of the year too, because there's always a, a market for uh, for free riding and uh, and you know hill climbing uh, anywhere in in the West. I guess. Yeah, and if you look at you know in the industry and, and the cool part with my gig that I've got kind of going now is I get to be on the the vendor slash distributor slash you know retail side of things as well as on the race side of things and, and see the trends and see what's going on. And, you know, on, on the, uh, on the industry side, the mountain snowmobile market is the, is the fastest growing market. Um, there's not as many numbers of riders, but they're the guys that are buying the new stuff and, and rotating through the newer, the brand new equipment and the turbos and the, you know, the expensive skids and high end shocks. And, and that's really where the market seems to be exploding the Midwest market is still bigger. There's more numbers, but the, the the aftermarket and the upgrade parts that go in the Midwest sleds don't seem to be even anywhere near what people are spending on their mountain sleds. So, yeah, I mean, it just the hill climb thing just keeps growing. Um, I look at it and see there's a lot of places that it can be improved to make it a better show for the spectators, but nobody really seems to care. They just they want to go race snowmobiles up the hill and and uh, so you can go faster on on what equipment and. Uh, it just keeps 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 growing. Yeah. Okay. Um, perfect. Uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little bit here. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions uh, about some rivals and uh, guys you uh, you enjoyed racing with, and maybe guys you didn't enjoy racing with. Uh, uh, are you game, are you game for that? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, uh, your, your your biggest rivals uh, in, in, in snowcross. Um, how how do you get along with uh, guys like uh, uh, Blair Morgan, uh, 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 Tony Hyken, and uh, Chris Vincent, uh, um, Jesse Strag, and these guys? Um, how, how would you how would you uh, say you're good friends with them, or uh, kind of wanting to beat them bad, or how, how would you describe your relationship with these guys? I mean, it's it's it, I would say all those guys. Um, at the time of competition, and even back then, you know, the snowcross world was a little different then than it is now. We were all kind of growing together. So uh, I truly, I, uh, I didn't like Tony Hyken at all when he was beating me all the time. But um, over the years, Tony and I got to be really good friends. Um, I went to Finland in 96 for Polaris, and and uh, Tony happened to be home, and, and he was my mechanic while I raced cross-country over there, and, and I stayed at this house. Uh, I've talked to him probably four or five times in the last four or five years. 
he was rooting me on at X Games. Like uh, we're pretty good friends on Facebook and and have some messages back and forth and and became pretty awesome friends after after the race years. Um, <clears throat> Blair Morgan, kind of the same thing. When we're battling week in and week out, uh, you're, you definitely want to beat that guy. But there was never any hard feelings. Um, we never we were never you know rival. I mean, I guess we're, we were rivals for sure, but. We never we, we had a lot of fun together, and I uh, I was pretty happy to see him. I talked to him at uh, Duluth this year, and sat around the BS with him for a long time, and and uh, yeah, had had a pretty good time chatting with him. So, um, yeah, I, Chris Vincent and I were pretty good friends. Not really sure what happened with him. You know, after uh, racing got over, he kind of fell off the radar. But uh, he him and I were teammates for a couple of years, and and we had a, a pretty good relationship. Yeah. And on the, so, on the on the on the hill climb side, uh, yeah, I mean it's very funny. Like I kind of got along with everybody. Yeah, and on the hill climb side, how do you uh, how do you make how do you make out with these guys? Are they, uh, let's say, uh, um, you were saying you were saying they're uh, they're they're pretty low low key. Uh, is there is there any is is there any intense individuals on on the hill climb side like uh, guys that uh, kind of scare you or <laughs> at all? <laughs> No, I mean, and like I said, there there's guys that are definitely more, and and for, the, for me, it's it's a different ball game because my uh, I, I'm not looking to to as I as I told Brian when I got hired to go race cross country, I'm like, dude, when I quit racing in '02, I pretty much was done filling in my resume. So anything I get to add to my resume after that's just kind of a a feather in the hat. So my my attitude, I mean, I've I've never been something that uh, doesn't want to go win, but for me. Uh, hill climbing is not, you know, win or lose or win or die. Like, it's not near as intense as the snowcross world was. And, and, uh, so, so no, I mean, there's, there's some guys, like the key Curtis's are, are pretty intense and, and they're for, they're for their job. And, uh, I'm going to be pretty good friends with Aaron Buchman, who's one of the high end riders and he's now riding for Fly. So I talk to him quite a bit, but he's pretty intense at the races. But those guys are there. I mean, I look at them at, at me at 25 and, and them at 25, like, they're there to prove what they do. They're there for a job. They're there. They're serious. And then there's a lot of guys that are there to because they're just having fun and like being in the race atmosphere. Yeah, um, a, a name that that uh, pops up on the on, uh, on I see in the results a lot of it is uh, Troy Johnson. Uh, he's your mechanic, or he's uh, um, the owner of uh, your sled build. He's your sled builder, is he not? He basically Troy is uh, he owns a shop in Alpine, Wyoming. And uh, his, he is contracted through Yamaha as the uh, Yamaha Hill Climb uh, team manager slash uh, builder. Like he, he's in charge of getting our sleds built. He's in charge of uh, kind of running the uh, the hill climb team as well as the head mechanic. Yeah. So uh, what, uh, what 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 all is uh, is he putting on your sleds, and or is he totally tearing these things down? Uh, um, does he have his own products or? Uh... You know how how is he assembling these uh, these uh, mountain sleds, hill climb sleds? Yeah, a little little all of the above, I guess. Um, so our improvers, the improve rule is you uh, basically a stock chassis, uh, aftermarket shocks, and then you can do um, minimal amount of motor work based on rules. Uh, so he he does a lot of the work. Some of the sometimes we have uh, motors get shipped off to engine builders. Um, but he's the assembly guy. Um, he's welding up pipes. He he builds a lot of his own parts. He does have some of his own parts that he sells out of his, his LCC Lincoln County Customs uh, shop. 
And then the mod sleds are pretty much his same thing. He doesn't do the motor builds that get built by um, engine builders that the Yamaha contracts and ship to him, and then he builds the chassis um, completely. So, yeah, he's pretty hands-on. And, and then, you know, his business is actually, he does a lot of that kind of custom build for, for just a general customer that builds uh, cool mountain sleds out of the uh, the western Wyoming area. Yeah. Are, are are you are you do, are you doing any writing or, or any t- testing for Yamaha at all? Uh, a new product testing or like a, on the production side at all? Do you do any of that? Uh, I I used to, but I haven't for the last few years. Um, I it's it's been really different since uh, Yamaha got uh, is working with Catmore. So you know the, the chassis is basically developed by Cat and and you know a lot of their their test riders and. And those are the guys, uh, I mean, you know, I work with, I race with Todd Tupper and he's kind of in charge of the, um, or part of the, the mountain cat program. So I race against him every weekend and have, <laughs> which is funny because him and I used to race against each other, snowcross, yeah. both Idaho guys and, and snowcross each and together for years. But, um, so he's kind of in charge of the cat and mountain program and, and does a lot of the chassis development. So, so no, uh, at this point, um, last couple of years, my only involvement has just been on the, the race team side. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I guess we can start start wrapping this up. Uh, so, so what do you got? What do you got planned for next year? Um, don't know yet. Like uh, trying to decide which which route I want to go. The the hard part is, um, Yamaha got me set up with a, a really cool play sled this year that I built into a fun play sled. But between uh, racing full time for Rimshaw and then having a an actual job i haven't got to ride it much so i'm trying to decide and then uh and work in some sort of program where i can race a little less next year hopefully and do some more play riding and you know some yamaha ambassador stuff and uh, uh attend some more of my kids events they're getting old enough that they uh they get a little frustrated with me sometimes when when i don't attend all their <laughs> all their events but uh trying to trying to put together a program where i can make everybody a little more happy next year and and uh and accomplish everything. I still have some, still have some desires to do better at some of these hill climbs. Yeah. Uh, I'm competitive that way, and I don't like uh, not doing as well as I think I should. So, uh, nothing set in stone at this point. Yeah. Okay. Is there is there any more hill climbs this year, or are they all done? Uh, we've got two left. I uh, have uh, one this weekend and one next weekend, and uh, then we're done. So we run until the end of April. Where are they? I uh, will be in Beaver, Beaver Mountain Resort out of Logan, Utah this weekend. And then the next one is uh, Grand Targhee, um, uh Ski Resort. So, uh, yeah, and that's, that's really hard part of this. I live in Boise, and so all my races are a minimum of uh, – we had one at uh, Sun Valley that was about two and a half hours. Other than that, they're all six- to seven-hour drives. And then um, I just did Crested Butte, which was 12 hours each way. Oh, boy. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good haul. So, yeah. The, <laughs> so, um, okay, Nathan. It's uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, had a little, little bit of a, a hiccup there uh, halfway through, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we, we we managed to pull through that. But uh, uh, that was good, fun fun stuff. So, uh, I want I want to thank you. Thanks a lot uh, for coming on, talking with us, uh, talking about your career, and um, and also uh, your, uh, your your career at uh, at uh, 
at Western Power Sports and uh, and Fly is uh, you know, interesting. That's a, a another big interesting part of the uh, of the snowmobile industry. So uh, always interested in hearing about uh, about products and stuff like that, and and the distribution side too. It's uh, it's uh, just as interesting as, as the racers sometimes. So uh, thanks a lot. Much appreciated. Um,